0: Life. I'm living my best life see the way I'm my best life. life let me hear you say my best life With this series, we launched kind of a social media contest that was just kind of for fun and for our church. I wanted to show you real quick. So what we do is we give you kind of a category, and you post a picture on your Instagram or your Facebook, and you do a specific hashtag, and we can find it, and then we get to give some prizes to the winners. So this past week, it was show us dinner out with your friends, all right? So we're already trying to produce community, and so show us dinner with your friends. So Amber and Andrew Morton posted this right here, Uh, and here's why this is the winner. So obviously, you see Blake and Lanisu just got engaged, and it's beautiful. For a couple of, check out baby Ollie in the back, right? Look at him. He's sneaking chips. You see what I'm saying? Sneaking chips. And, and so, as a winner, they get not only do they get a little swag bag that I have for them down here of some victory merchandise. And not only do they, you get to see their pretty faces, but watch what we're doing every week. This is the logo for the series. And so, we're adding it into the logo, right? So, we got a couple different weeks and they'll be adding in the logo. So, it's really cool, really exciting thing. Andrew and Amber, thank you guys for following and being able to be out there and, and loving on community. Here's the challenge for this week. You ready? is to take a picture of you playing some type of games with some friends, okay? So you got board games, we got an example. I always try to set the example for you. Now, we are not praying over food. It's not what's happening right now. The spirit is not operating in this room. What's happening is we are playing a version of Pictionary, right? Where you draw the picture and the next person has to write what they think it is. And so here's what we've realized, as you can see how focused we are. The girls are so unfocused, they took pictures while this was happening. You see what I mean? And so that's kind of an example. So here's what you do. You post it, hashtag Tn Victory, Tennessee Victory, which is everything. Our website, hashtag My Best Life. Don't hashtag My Best Life without Tn Victory, because there's like a million My Best Life hashtags, and we'll never be able to find it. All right, cool. You guys ready to participate in that? Yep. One more quick thing about the app. Uh, on there's a little tab on the bottom that says Notes. And every week, my notes will be downloaded live onto that app. So you'll be able to follow on the scriptures. I, I, if you take notes, keep taking notes. I like to take notes regardless because sometimes God will say something to me that might not be in the speaker's notes. And so I like to write that down. But you can hit that note tab, and you can see all the notes that will be downloaded every Sunday. We're ready to roll. Cool? You ready? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter two. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. We'll have it on the screen. Acts chapter two is on the app. Come on, Shanti. She read, she she obviously got the message. Uh, it's on the app. Everything's on the app. You're gonna love the app. Um, get the app. It's free, by the way. It's free. Get the app. Acts chapter two. I'm gonna jump around of different verses today, but Acts two is gonna be the foundation for the message, and it's gonna be the foundation that carries us through this series. My best life kind of became a tagline in our culture, I don't know, months, maybe even a year ago. And it was either hashtag my best life or you would see people post this. They would post the picture and they'd say, I'm living my best life, okay? And here's kind of what it meant. People would tag it onto like exotic adventures. If they were on vacation and their, you know, their butts in the sand or their toes in the sand, however that song goes, right, they would post the picture and, and live living my best life. Or if they were eating some exotic meal somewhere, hashtag I'm living my best life. And, and so the more I saw that, the more I was like, man, I started thinking about all the adventures of my life and missions, trips, and vacations and, you know, McDonald's and all these really cool exotic places I've been and and my my best life. And then here's what I remembered and here's what I thought. And tell me if you agree. In all of the best life moments I've had, the enjoyment of that moment has been less about what I was doing and more about who I was with. Right? Because you can do things that are not even fun, but if you do them with the right people, you have a blast. I just believe we were created for community. That's what this whole series is about. Is I believe that God's best life for you is in community. I really do. I think we were created by a relational God. Listen to me, who gave us relational needs to drive us to desire significant community. I'm going to show you in Genesis chapter two, verse eighteen. All throughout Genesis 1, God does creation, right? He creates everything, creates the earth, he creates the skies, he creates the stars, he creates water. And every time he creates something, what does he say? And it was good, and it was good. He created the earth, and it was good. He created woman, and it was good, right? No, Okay, all right, he created the sky, and it was good. He created, it was good. The only time you see him say it was not good is in this verse, Genesis 2, chapter 18, and look what it, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be what? Alone. Alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And now I understand a lot of people use this as a marriage type verse, and and it is, I get it, but you know, here's what I really believe. I believe that this verse just meant relationship in general, just in general, And here's what blows my mind about this particular verse in this particular time. When God said this, listen to me now, when God said this, the fall of man had not happened. Okay? Had not happened. So Adam and God were in perfect intimacy together. Bible says they would walk together in the cool of the evening. Okay? So they had this perfect relationship. There, There was no sin it wasn't like, oh, Adam was, was cast away from God, so now he's alone and he needs a woman. It was now God, he's, he's perfectly with God, yet God assessed him and said, hmm, he's alone. Isn't that crazy? That God, God looked at him and said, he's got his relationship with me, and that's great, but he also needs relationship with others. I just think God wired us from day one for biblical community. Now, in order for you to understand, I got to take you through some things. First is this. I believe community is being modeled in the Bible. I believe community is being modeled from Genesis all the way to the New Testament. I believe community is being modeled. Let me show you, right? Right off the bat in Genesis, you have the creation complex, right? You have the creation situation. And God didn't do creation by himself. God says we. God talks about him who, God the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in the very beginning, when there's nothing else, when, when, when there's nothing, think about this, no earth, no stars, when there's nothing, there's still community. Think about that. You got God, Father, you got this, this, this little little group together that God has made, this little three-pack And it's so important and it was such intimate relationship that in John chapter 17 when Jesus is praying, some of his last words, here's what he prays. He says, I pray that that they will be as one as we are one. They is us, one is relationship, and we was the Trinity. So Jesus was saying, I've experienced such great community with the Father and with the Holy Spirit that as I'm leaving, as I'm going to the cross, my prayer for you and for me was this, that we may one day experience community like the Trinity. Think about that. So God models community. So Jesus picks up on that, and when he comes to earth, he starts in community. You don't find verses where Jesus walked up and said, hey, here's the Bible, read it, and walks away. It was always what? Come follow me. Come do relationship with me. Come do life with me. Listen to me. Jesus did more ministry inside the house than he ever did inside the church. That's his mindset. His mindset was fellowship. When he met Matthew, the tax collector, and he told Matthew to follow him, the next few verses, they are now in Matthew's house, and it says Jesus was reclining, right? Jesus on the lazy boy, you know what I'm saying? He's just reclining, got the little leg up, and he's reclining with Matthew the tax collector. He's not standing over him, preaching to him, but yet this is speaking more to Matthew's life than that was. Because Jesus, the Son of God, if anybody could have done it by himself, Jesus could have done it, right? Yet Jesus, after seeing it modeled by his father, says, obviously, there's an importance to community. And so the moment you begin to follow me, the moment you commit your life to Jesus, then what you need is some type of relationship, some type of fellowship. Let's go have dinner together and let's talk about what Jesus is doing in our life. We were wired for community. So God models it, then Jesus models it, watch this, and then his disciples modeled it. So the disciples were around it, right? That's how he met Matthew. And so now Acts chapter 2, which is where a lot of this is going to come out of over the next four weeks, and, and watch what this is. It's talking about the followers of Jesus. They devoted themselves, this is the early church, themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they devoted themselves first to what? Church, the, the Bible, preaching, the, the opening of the Word of God and the study of the Word of God, they devoted themselves first to, then to fellowship. So they had Sunday morning worship ministry, and then they had house-to-house ministry. So they had the, the church, and they had the couch, okay? Some of y'all like to stay home in the presence of the comforter. See what I'm saying? Did y'all catch that? No? Okay, moving on. Um, and so, so you've you, you devoted themselves to, to apostles' teaching and to fellowship, then to the breaking of bread, this is where Mexican restaurants come into the Bible, right here. You see how I did that? See, think about it. That's where every Christian goes to break bread. They break chips over guacamole. It's hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We all know that God made white cheese dip, right? Come on. Let's be honest. Okay. So to the breaking of bread and to prayer and to prayer. So you've got church. You've got small groups. You've got hanging out, fellowship, breaking of the bread, and you got prayer. That's what they devoted themselves to. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all of, this is my favorite verse, all of the believers were together and had everything in common. We're going to talk about this later on in the series. We were together and had everything in common. What we just did right here, what we were able to do for the teachers of Rock Springs Middle School, that was the church having everything in common. Okay. Move on, my, my, my next favorite verse. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So in their small group, nobody was in need. It was, what do you need? Oh, well, I got something here, I'll sell it and you can have it. Literally, I just heard a story this morning where a, a, a lady in our church, she had some, some, uh, some, some kids' supplies that she didn't need anymore, and she found out that some other women in our church were starting a daycare, and so she gave all of her stuff to them so, that, so they would have all this free stuff to start their daycare. That's the Bible being lived out. She might not have sold it, but she gave it. Watch this. She didn't even get anything from it. She just gave it to them, okay? That was the concept of small group. That was the concept of community. When you're in community, you will never have a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes. Now they've brought Mexican restaurant to go. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Watch this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. (laughs) So when we are in line with God's vision for our lives, people get saved. I wanted to tell you this, Principal Wayne, when you were up here, but because, listen to me, teachers and Principal Wayne, because you guys have allowed us to be able to come in here for six months, we've seen 41 people commit their lives to Jesus. Is that incredible? That's incredible. You need to give God praise for that. You need to give, I heard somebody say, why why, why do people count stuff like that? And I heard a, a, a mentor of mine, he said this, he goes, you count the things that you love, right? He said, I have five children, not somewhere between three and seven right? So this is why we count people who commit their lives to Jesus. It's important. So because they were meeting together and because they had fellowship and because they were eating chips and white cheese dip, the Lord added to the number daily. It was being modeled for for us from day one. Community changed my life. Let me explain it to you. So when I, I've i told some of you, when I, when I got saved, or when, let's just say this, when I started going to church, it took me a while to commit my heart to the Lord. Uh, I was just doing the church thing for a while. Brian Hogwood, I met him, the guy who was up here with the tattoos uh, ch- trying to get you to get an app. I met him in high school, and he started inviting me to church, and we went to church together, and I went to play basketball and see girls, but it worked out okay. And so I, I immediately fell in love with the church because it had great community. This was a church in Memphis where I was born, and it had great community. It was a lot of young adults, a lot of youth, and so we hung out a lot. We'd do Sunday night, you know, restaurants, and we would do beach camps and, and lake trips. It was so much fun. I had a lot of friends in this community. And so he came to me one day. He said, hey, we're going to another retreat. And I said, cool. Is the, I didn't say this verbiage, but here's what I meant. Is the community going to be there? Like, are all my friends going to be there? And he was like, yeah, yeah, everybody's going to be All the guys are going to be there. I was like, Cool. So we, we go, show up to the church, and they bring out, wasn't a bus, it was, they, they called it the people mover. You ever seen this? It's like 20 seats on wheels. It's just weird. And so I got in it, and, and I'm sitting in the very back, because we were the first ones there, and, and they start, people start pouring in, and I'm like, hmm, I was 19 at the time, and the youngest person to get on that people mover besides me was probably 49 years old. I'm like, what are we doing? where are we about to go? <laughs> Is this an expo? You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? And, um, and so, so the thing gets going, and we start driving. I keep asking him. I'm like, where are we going? He's like, I can't tell you. I'm like, oh my God. Am I in a cult? Like, what's happening right here? I'm not drinking anything you give me. And so we're driving through woods and all this stuff, and I'm starting out. It was probably a 20-minute drive. I thought it was six hours. Like, I was scared to death. I didn't know where we were going. I thought I was on survival. Survivor. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Brian Hogwood. That's who I vote in. And so we, we get to the place. And they start getting us on the van, no lie, we step off the people mover, and here's what they say, we need your watch and your phone. i like, no, you don't. I ain't giving you nothing. Like, I don't even know who, I didn't even know who he was. Like, you, I don't know, I don't got to give you anything. And so, obviously, I did, because there was a lot of them and a little of me. And so, I gave him the phone to watch, and we go into this, like, little conference room, and we, we watch this video from, like, 1920. I don't even know what that was. And when the video's over, this guy gets up, and here's what he says. He gets up, and he goes, um, head to your bedrooms, And tonight will be a night of silence. I was like, check, I'm out. Get me, get me out. Brian, get me out. Right. Like, what are we doing? Where are we? Okay. It was this thing that they did called discipleship walk. And it was this whole concept of a weekend of community, nothing but men, no women there, men crying, all kinds of stuff I had never seen before. Right. I'm like, what's going on? By the second day, I'm the number one crier. I'm just sitting over there. Like, oh God, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And so we're in this meeting. I'm sitting at this table This gentleman by the name of Gary Mullins sits on a stool. He gives, they would give talks. Different men would give talks, life talks, kind of like a sermon, but not quite. And he gets up and he's, he's, I don't remember what his talk was, but he starts to close his talk with a song, okay? Now, I'm not going to sing it because the worship team would get jealous um, and they'd be be trying to recruit me, you know what I mean? And so, but I'll say it for you. It was basically, he ran to me. He took me in his arms. He held my head to his chest. He said, my son's come home again. He lifted my face. He wiped the tears from my eyes. And with forgiveness in his voice, he said, son, do you know I still love you? And there's this part, if you listen to the song, the song's called, I think it's called When God Ran. So you Google it, right? It'll be the first time that song's been Googled in 20 years. And so when there's a part where it kind of hits and it goes, he called me son. See why I can't sing? But it was so powerful. I could not stop crying. right there, I committed my life to Jesus in that, in that environment, in that community environment. And here's my thought. Without community, where would I be? If I wasn't in community with Brian for him to invite me to begin with, and then I go to a place that is nothing but community, and because I'm in a place of community where I can be vulnerable, right? Because here's the best thing about community. When you have community, you can take the mask off. I don't care what you say. We all come to church with the mask. You know what I mean? You were in the car on the way to church. You were cussing your children out. You were hitting them. You need to stop. You need to be quiet. I, mean, I, get, I tell you what, you're not eating for six days. That's your punishment. I tell you what, I'll grab you by your hair right now. And you pulled up, and then the people were in the parking lot, and you were like, hi, bless Jesus. So good to see you. I've got the angels in the back. Where's V Kids? You know what I mean? And as soon as you get a V Kids, you're like, hey, here you go. There are angels. Take them. I don't ever want to see them again. You know, y'all know, are talking to us like, can we do three-hour church services so we can have a vacation from our kids? Like, you know what I mean? That's, that's how we are. We got that mask. And when you have this community in your life, you can take the mask off, and then people actually know what you're struggling with, and then ministry can happen. And so God models community from Jesus. God had community. Jesus had community. The disciples had community. Why would we think we don't need it? Right? And because of the power of community, this is why I think community is being attacked. So first in the Bible, community was being modeled. Now in our culture, I think community is being attacked. Let me give you some examples. In this day and age, we have never had more friends and followers than right now. I think on Facebook, I'm I'm over a thousand friends, right? I see people all the time. I'm like, I don't even know who that is. You know, it's labeled as a friend, right? Or uh, we got followers. We, We are a social media driven world. And so we've got all these friends and we've got all these followers. And yet George Gallagher Jr. says this, that Americans are amongst the loneliest people in the world. How is that possible? How can we have all of our friends and their lives in our fingertips and we still be lonely? It's because that is not authentic relationship or community. It's fake. You're seeing what they ate for dinner, but you're not speaking to them. I think one of the worst things that ever happened to us were text messages. And it's the best thing. I'm not going to lie to you. I love it because I ain't got to talk to people. I'm like, hey, da da, 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 But think about it. We went from having to call people all the time and having to speak to them, which one question might lead to how you doing. Now it's boom, boom done, gone. We can go back to our solitude, right? Let me give you some examples. Garages. We have Garages. I don't know if all of us do, but we get to come home, we get to park our car in the garage, close the garage, and we don't have to speak to anybody. Go in the house. We have fences nowadays. The fences are blocking where we're not talking to our neighbors, right? I actually heard an architect say this, that when they build houses, they are building smaller front porches and bigger back porches. Think about that. Think about it. When's the last time you saw a big front porch? When, when my parents' parents were growing up, they had big Front porches and people would sit on the swings and they 'd have a pop you know that 's Coke for you people who aren't cool. Um, and so they would have a Coca-Cola and they'd hang out in the swing and had a community, and now that front porch is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and that back porch, where the fence is, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and we are out there instead of being in front, so that we don't accidentally run into anybody. We have online banking, we have online shopping, we have online schooling. Netflix put Blockbuster out of business. You know why? Because you don't have to talk to anybody. You can just walk up to a kiosk and do-do-do, boom, thank you, don't speak to me, no, I'm no, don't talk to me. And we are, the culture is just, I mean, I did this study, 87% of Americans don't know their neighbor's name. Do you? Do you know your neighbor's name? It's a good gut check. I know one, I don't know the other, right? We, just, we are so caught up on building a Fortnite community, That we're not building a real community. See what I mean? And the more our culture goes away and away from community, I think the church should go towards closer and closer to community. But then I had to ask this question. Why would Satan care about attacking community? Why? I mean, let's let's just be honest for a second. You guys hanging out at Burger King, having a cheeseburger, Whopper, having it your way. Why, 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 would, why would Satan even, he must, surely he's got bigger things on his plate. Why would he even care about destroying your community? Let me show you the potential of community, okay? In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I believe. You got that for me? There we go. Oh, that's hard to read on there. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Right off the bat, Effectiveness. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Now you've got encouragement, right? But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So already, community has given us better effectiveness, and it's given us more encouragement. Already, okay? Go ahead and give me that next uh, last few verses. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So watch this. When you are in community, you're a conqueror. When you are isolated, you're defeated. The enemy understands the potential of you having godly community. Let me tell you the story. So I recently, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, we went to Memphis. We had to visit the grandparents before the kids started school again. And we wanted to have lunch with Maddie, okay? So Maddie is a dream teamer. She helped us plant the church. She, uh, you've probably seen her either first impressions or you've seen her uh, in growth track. She's involved in both of those ministries. Here's what you may not know about Maddie is Maddie is still in the process of trying to move here, okay? She's trying to get a new car and get up here. So every weekend, every Weekend, she wakes up Sunday morning at an ungodly hour. She gets in her car and she drives three and a half hours to Smyrna, Tennessee, where she walks in, helps out with Dream Team, help gets church up, does church, helps does her responsibility in grow track, breaks down church, goes to community and have lunch with people. Then she gets in her car and drives three and a half hours back to Memphis every weekend. That's what she calls someone who's got a passion and a vision for what God's doing right here in Victory Church. See what I'm saying? So obviously, we don't ever get to really hang out with her during the week because she's in Memphis and we're in Smyrna. So we happen to be in Memphis, and we text her and said, hey, let's get together and have some lunch. She said, hang out. No agenda. Let's just hang out. So she said, okay. So we went to Chili's. And so we pull up to Chili's, and I was on a phone call with somebody. It was a really important phone call, and so I said, "Hey, uh, Darla, you go ahead and go in, and you just y'all go and get some chips or something, and let me finish this phone call, and then I'll be in when I'm done with this phone call." So she says, "Okay." So Darla goes in, and I didn't want to stay in the hot car, so I get out the car and I'm walking around the Chili's parking lot, and right in the front of Chili's, you know, there's like some concrete area for people to hang out if they were waiting, and there's trees. So I'm on the phone, I'm talking first on the phone, and I'm sitting here, and we're in a pretty serious conversation. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom, I get hit in the arm with something. I, had, I didn't know if someone was shooting spitballs at me or what. I like get hurt. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what just happened? And I hear the noises of a bird, like, chirping. And I'm like, did he just run into me? Like, is he, is this bird blind? Like, I mean, you know, he, I mean, I'm not a little guy. Like, how does that happen? And so I told the person on the phone, I said, I think this bird, I think he just ran into me. I don't know. And so we keep on going, probably about 30 seconds. And all of a sudden, I'm watching, and it's coming back again. Shh. And I'm like, what in the world? And all of a sudden, boom, he hits my arm again. And this time, I'm like, he hit me with his beak. This is, this is an assault, you know what I mean? Like, we're about to have a police report filed. Like, what is happening right now? And so I'm like, it's, I, and but, but, you know, I've seen Stephen King's birds or whatever. Like, I, I didn't think this was real. And so I'm just kind of like, this can't be. He's just, he's just dumb. You know, so I waited, and all of a sudden I could see him at the peripheral, or you call that peripheral, the side of my eye. And he's coming around, shh, and all of a sudden, boom, he hits my arm for the third time. And I'm like, all right. This bird is attacking me. So I did what every strong, godly man does. I ran. I ran all across Chili's parking lot. I'm like, yo, man, I think this bird is attacking. I'm like hiding behind cars and stuff. Like my wife and Maddie, they're just in Chili's eating chips. Like, yeah, God's so good. He's just, his life is so good. And I'm outside getting attacked About to get murdered by birds. Like, what is happening right now? And I just realized this, and it made a lot of sense for this moment. Listen to me. Sheep are never attacked in herds. They're only attacked when they're isolated from the flock. Once we get isolated from God's people, the enemy attacks. He's never going to attack you once you're surrounded with friends and godly community that are there to encourage you. You know what I mean? They're there to inspire you. So if you understand that, if you understand that you were modeled for, or that you were built and modeled for community, and you understand that the enemy is going after community, then listen. Community is not a luxury for you; it's a necessity. It's not something you should have. It's something you better have. It's something you have to have. The more we get into this, the next couple weeks, we'll start to realize that a lot of what we're missing in our life is a result of godly community. When you start having problems in your marriage, and you will, who do you talk to? When you're at the hospital... Who do you talk to? One of, the, one of my proudest moments already as a pastor of this church, we're six months old, and there's been a handful of moments where people in our church have either had to go to the hospital for surgeries or a loved one passed away. And by the time I was able to reach out to them, they had already been contacted, loved on, and provided for by the community of their dream team. Because everybody who serves in this church is in a dream team, and they're in different areas, and that area has kind of formed a natural little small group. And it's so cool to see that God meets needs through community. But when we don't have it, then we wonder why those needs aren't being met. And God is telling us from the beginning of the Bible, I modeled it for you. Have a group. Have a group. Jesus had a group. Jesus had 12, right? But here's what I noticed. The more I studied Jesus' small group, I noticed that Jesus also had three. Now, I will kind of teach this to you if you stay around here long enough, that that when it comes to you that God modeled this for your life, the crowd is the church, the 12 is your small group, and the three kind of becomes the the most intimate people you spend time with. So let me give you an example. Brian, uh, uh, Tim, where's Malcolm? Malcolm in here? Y'all come up here for a second. All right, just come up on stage for a second. So, I believe this. I believe this, that the more you get involved in a small group, I believe that in that small group, you will meet a smaller group of people who will become real intimate. Sit down on that couch for a second. Just don't, don't, don't mess up my papers. Um, become real intimate in your life. Okay. Here's my point. When you have a barbecue, you're not inviting 30 people over to your house. If you are, I'll let your boy, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> But you're probably not. And so if you're going on vacation, you're not inviting your small group to vacation. If you are, holly at your boy. Okay. So more than likely, you're going to have this small group that meets and there's discipleship and all these different things. But out of that, you're going to meet a small group of people that kind of become your intimate friends. So Jesus had three people with him, all right? Mm-hmm. He had Peter, James, and John. There's all I want to show you these verses. There's three verses in Matthew where you just, it's all the time. You see it. All right, go ahead and throw it. Matthew 5, 37. Watch this. Then he did not let anyone else go in with him. All right, this was in the story. Uh, Jesus is bringing healing to Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter has died, and so Jairus has asked Jesus to come and heal his daughter. And Jesus gets to the house, and he starts kicking people out of the house because that's a whole, I can't wait to preach that. That's coming in later. And so he starts kicking people out of the house, and it says he goes in with no one except who? Peter? James, and John, right? Matthew 17, 1, they're going up on the mountain of transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Matthew 26, 37, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James, and John. So Jesus had this crew of Peter. Let's do this real quick. Let's see. You think we'll break this up? Let's see. So Jesus had this crew. Don't let me fall. Okay. Jesus had this crew of Peter, James, this has nothing to do with my sermon, I just thought it'd be really fun to do. Okay, Peter, James, and John. So he had a small group of 12, but he had a crew that was, that they knew about the dirty stuff in between his toes. You know what I mean? Like, they knew Jesus. So we'll we'll provide a small group to this church. And again, we're going to talk a lot about this over the next couple weeks, all the small groups the church has. But it goes beyond that. It's you finding a community of people that you can be intimate with that literally hold you up when you're going through some stuff. You know what I mean? Some of them are too cool to hold you. They just let you lean on them. You know, I'm I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. I didn't want to be looking at the ceiling anyway. And so, you know, there's there's a moment where you got to understand that this is what God saw when he modeled community. He didn't picture you coming to some group and sitting around a table and trying to talk about your issues. He pictured this, intimacy. This is how he was with the Trinity. This is, the Bible said Jesus was reclining. Look it up. Theologically, it means he looked like this. He wasn't on a lazy boy. They didn't have him yet, okay? And so he looked like this. He was reclining with them. God wants you to find a group that you can be intimate with like this, and it happens when you take community uh, serious, right? Amen? But it gets better. Ah! I'm living my best life. Okay, so, all right, so, so, y'all stand here now. Stand up in the front, stand in front. Okay, so, so, let's do this for a second. Don't, all Right. so you take this. You're gonna be Peter. You know why he's Peter? Because he'll cut somebody's ear off in a second. All right, you got James and John. They're James and John because from now on, Brian, don't let me forget this. From now on, don't show that side. Let's call them sons of thunder. That's what these two had to be called. Sons of thunder. You know what I mean? Look at them guns. Sons of thunder. Okay. There we go. All right. So Peter, James, and John, what if I told you that the idea of the people you surround yourself with when God designed this goes deeper than you think? What if I told you God wanted you to surround yourself with people who would help you see your destination, who would help you understand your mission and your purpose in life? What if I told you that the people God wants you to surround yourself with has bigger purpose than you ever thought? Let me show you. Can you put those verses of Matthew back up? Okay. Peter, who's this? i can read. Who's this? Who's this? Watch these verses of Matthew. Then he did not let anyone else go in and say, except Peter and James and John, okay? Jesus took him, Peter, James, and John. Matthew 26, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. Did you catch anything? Did you catch anything? It's always in the same order. Did you see that? Peter, James, and John. It wasn't John, James, and Peter. I mean, Here's what the Bible is. The Bible is people, especially the New Testament, people who experience Jesus's life being led by the Holy Spirit to pin what already happened, okay? So surely it would have been okay for them to mix that up occasionally. It would have been all right for it to be Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John, Peter, John, and James, right? Would y'all have been mad? I wouldn't have been mad. As long as Jesus still died for my sins, I don't care. What if there's a reason? What if Jesus was teaching us something even deeper, okay? Here's what you gotta know about Peter. Peter's name, when you back in the in the day when people got named, we don't get we don't really do this today, but when people were given names, they were given names for a reason because the name had a meaning. Okay? So Peter in Greek means stone. Okay? That that in Hebrew meant tablet or law. Okay, so turn your paper around. So so Peter's name meant law. Okay? James' name in Hebrew is Jacob. And Jacob, that name means supplanted or replaced. Okay, so turn around. So his name means so you got Peter's name means law. Uh, uh, James' names means replaced. John's name meant grace, okay? So Peter's name meant law. James' name meant replaced. John's name meant grace. And Jesus knew this. And the reason why Jesus always had to roll with Peter, James, John is because the crew he rolled with reminded him of his destination. The crew he rolled with reminded him of his purpose. And here was his purpose, that law would be replaced by grace, Do you see it? Does it make sense? He had to roll with them. He couldn't get them mixed up because grace can't be replaced by law. He had to roll with Peter, and he had to roll with James, and he had to roll with John because he had a purpose, and he had a direction, and he had a vision, and he had a destination, and he had a mission. And when he kept them around him, he was reminded that my mission is to establish that the law has been replaced by grace. Do you see it, church? God wants you to surround yourself with people who remind you of your purpose. Put people in your life that remind you of your mission, that remind you of your destination. You were called to be victorious in the Lord. You were called to bring people into the kingdom. You were called to be a great husband. You were called to be a great wife. You were called to train up your child in a way so that may not depart from it. These were the things you were destined and missioned to do. And so when you put the right people around you, they will remind you. You think there was ever a moment where Jesus, listen, I'm not saying they reminded Jesus because they didn't have that ability, okay? They didn't have the authority to go up to Jesus and be like, hey man, you you need to pick it up. You're slacking a little bit, Jay. They didn't have that. They didn't even know it. They didn't even understand that just their presence reminded him of his purpose. When you have the right community in your life, just their presence will remind you of their purpose. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are, for your word, for your mercy, for your grace. I thank you for community. I love, Lord, that you modeled it for us from the beginning. And even though the enemy is attacking it, we're going to do our best to be able to reinstate it into Smyrna, into Rutherford County, into Tennessee, and through our church. But, Lord, I pray right now for the hearts in this room, that they would begin to understand the purpose, the potential, and the mission behind community. God, you want to encourage them. You want them to have that intimate connection with people who can hold them up when they're going through something. Now, obviously, our, our faith, Lord, is not on them. Our victory is not founded on them, but it's founded on you. And you're speaking through those people and so God as we move forward in this series I just pray you'd open up our hearts and open up our minds make it clear to us the need for community in our lives and not just for us to be ministered to but God because you want to flow through us and minister to other people God you want to use us to change lives and transform lives and you can't do that if we don't make ourselves available And so as we make ourselves available in these groups, Lord, you use us to impact and to change lives. And we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said,